Hi, and this is the Physics High Podcast. A quick quiz. Do you, A, want to be inspired by science communicators? B, want to learn all about science education? C, want guidance on your scientific journey? Well, how about D, all of the above? Today, my guest is Peter Lebedev. Now, Peter is a science communicator based here in Sydney, Australia. Now, his particular interest is physics educational research, but that is just one of the many hats that he wears. In essence, he is a full-time science communicator, and he's been called on many times by TV shows and radios to be the resident science expert when various topics arise where they needed a science expert. Now, he's also written for Discovery Channel, and he's also currently the researcher and a writer for one of YouTube's largest science channels, Veritasium, with Derek Muller. And not only that, he's also been a regular fixture on numerous podcasts with Dr. Carl or Carl Krusenicki. Welcome, Peter. Hello, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Now, tell us a little bit more about what it means to be a science communicator. Now, I've had a number of interviews now with a variety of people who are scientists, educational researchers, and so forth. And science communication is an important part of their role. I guess you're the first person I'm talking who specifically his role would say is a science communicator. So tell us a little bit more what you do. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think like the, the, the main kind of premise and like the main goal of science communication is to communicate science to the general public. Like I, I understand that there's many, you know, there are science communicators who are only focused on, you know, affecting policy. So talking to, to government or talking to industry or whatever, but yeah, like the, the, the kind of science communication that I do and the kind of science communication I'm personally most interested in uh, for better or for worse is uh, talking to the public. So uh, yeah, now I work with, with Derek um, and I help him make videos, right? So I do a bunch of the, the research and the writing and, you know, planning, planning the videos that are coming up, coming up with interesting topic ideas, working on like titles and thumbnails to make sure the videos actually get seen, um, working with cool writers to make sure, you know, like there's currently the, just the two of us like full time on the team, but we've been working with a lot of like freelance science writers um yeah so that's kind of my job like to to make cool videos with Derek but it's also a uh outreach as well so for example going on to TV and so forth but also speaking mm-hmm. to high school students visiting schools as well yeah i mean pre covid i did i did a bunch of that um and yeah that's always been a a really big i really miss it i really really miss it of like going and doing live talks because I think, I think like video is great and podcasts are great, but like, there's something about like the energy of a live talk that is, uh, yeah, kind of irreplaceable, right? Like, cause you can really feel like you'd get this in a classroom, right? Like the difference between teaching online and teaching face-to-face is so different. Right. Um, and you, it's the same thing in, in the live talk. You can say something and you bring a certain energy to the room and like the, 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 the audience gives a different kind of energy back and there's like an interplay and it's, it's yeah, really fun. I would imagine that being a science communicator actually has some of its challenges. So if I were to talk to, let's say a cosmologist like Geraint, 
he would communicate something very specific, something that is his strength, his field. Whereas if I would talk to, let's say, Jeff Wiener from CERN, his area is particularly interested is particle physics. And that would be true for many scientists. Their expertise is their communication. You, as a science communicator, have to be across a lot of topics. So, for example, if they're wanting to ask questions about COVID, you'd have to be across it. How have, how have you found that? Because there are so many topics you could be asked about. I don't, I don't talk about medical stuff. I'm not qualified. And I think it's maybe it's actually definitely dangerous for, for me to do that. I know as much as the average person, maybe even less. Um, I am a little bit across physics, right? Like I, that's my background. It's my degree, my initial degree, my, my bachelor's and my honors was in geophysics. Um, and then I did my PhD uh, at the University of Sydney, submitted my thesis a couple of months ago uh, in physics education research. So like I know by physics more or less okay, right? Don't ask me to solve a partial dif- partial differential equation anytime soon. But so so I definitely choose kind of the, the topics that I'm able to talk about carefully. Like I need to make sure that I'm not BSing my way through things. Um there's two, two, two parts to this. One is being comfortable with saying, hey, I actually don't know, right? There's so many things, even about my subject of expertise, right? Uh, I know little to nothing about. So I'm very comfortable with going, hey, I don't know, but you know, I can look it up or even better, you can look it up. Like I hear this book is good. And another thing that I do is when there is time, so in something like a, like making a video, uh, you know, Derek and I make sure we consult with the experts, right? Actually, as early on in the process as possible, right? Because the experts will not only help you get the science right, they will be able to help you find the stories that are more interesting than the story that you initially had, right? There's been many cases where we're like, oh, here's a cool thing. And then you dig into the literature a little bit and you find like the experts in that thing in like you, you find a cool paper and you email, you know, the, the writers of that paper and they'll be like, Hey, this is cool, but this is even cooler. Like, let me tell you about this thing. Um, so yeah, like I, if you, if you can actually, even if you can't, please reach out to experts. If you're a science communicator and making a video about a topic that is not exactly in your wheelhouse, right. Probably ask an expert. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Grant. Grant has been one of those experts and he's been bloody amazing. And I can't, yeah, I can't be more thankful for the scientists that give up their time to, you know, help chumps like us. You did a degree at Flinders, is that correct? In geophysics, which no, you... No, no, no. Flinders Curtin. or Curtin? That's right. It was Curtin. Um, but then you decided to go into specifically science and education research. And I heard a little story, actually. It was, a, I guess, a starry-eyed uh, liking of uh, uh, Dr. Carl and Derek Muller at the University of Sydney that sort of attracted you to the University of Sydney. It, as was, a- <laughs> it was Derek. It wasn't Carl, which is embarrassing because, like, I told – I talked to him about this um, – I only realized that Carl was at UCID like the first day of my PhD. It was where I was walking to my new office, right? And two doors down from me, there's like, you know, a, a sign that says Dr. Carl. And there's like this like six foot two, six foot three giant in a colorful shirt. And I was like, oh my God, that's Dr. Carl. 
so let me back up. I finished my honors degree and I realized that I wasn't temperamentally suited to be a scientist as in I love science and I find it deeply fascinating, but I find I, this kind of goes back to the previous question. I find a lot of things really, really interesting. And I love learning about all of those things, but I don't have the temperament or the patience or the to kind of drill in on one tiny part of physics for a really long time. Right. Which is um, maybe that's not exactly how it works, but at least in my, you know, the 21 year old minds, like what was like, this is how academia is structured. So I wasn't particularly interested in doing that. What I was interested in doing was talking about science because I love science and I loved talking about things. I love music and filmmaking and drama and all those kind of things. And I was a big fan of, you know, the, the usual suspects of science communication, right? Like from, you know, David Attenborough and Carl Sagan and Jacques Cousteau, um, who were like really big early influences to, you know, the, the kind of the more modern crop of, you know, Henry from Minophysics and, you know, Diana from Physics Girl and Derek from, you know, Veritasium and, Destined from Smarter Every Day and like a dozen others, right? But yeah, like Derek has been near the top of my list of like, this is a really high quality science communicator. Like this is a really high quality like science filmmaker. And I kind of just wanted to do that. I kind of had the two options, right? Of like, do I just like finish this degree and strike out on my own and figure it out as I go along? Or go down, like admit that I'm currently not ready to do that. I'm not you know, skilled enough either in science or in communication um, to try to go alone, um, which I guess is a false dichotomy because I'm sure I would have found help, right? Like I'm sure I would have found clever, interesting people. But basically I was like, you know what? There's this, and you said, uh, Derek did his PhD there and the topic of his PhD is about how to make physics education videos you know, effective. And I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, that degree and the skills that he learned from that degree, like has seemingly led him to some really cool places. And I was like, you know what, like, let's just give it a shot. It was cool. Then plus I wanted to like move to Sydney. Like it's a cool place. It's an expensive place, but it's a cool place. Now, now my, my little uh, starry-eyed quip was just a, a, a lame attempt as a joke, I guess. But you were right. We admire people who communicate science so well. And for both of us, we want to do that ourselves. It's the joy of communicating uh, our concepts and seeing kids, uh, you know, older students, adults even, all going, Oh wow, that that's amazing, you know? Yeah. And I think I think there's like something just beautiful about really killer storytelling, right? Like I think that's a that's a thing that I didn't write highly enough, but I really do now. It's like when a person can tell a really good story about anything, it's like, yes, this is great. Uh and like science is beautiful, right? It's 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 it's, it's nature is beautiful, the world is a beautiful place, right? And why would you not want to tell interesting stories about that? I think like specifically with kind of making videos or filmmaking or whatever, right? There's a special joy in, because I kind of think of it as like three separate parts. And like, I know that they're not mutually exclusive, but like, it really feels like there's three important parts to this, right? Like there's really with video, there's visuals, right? So you need 
to film beautiful things. Your shots need to be beautifully composed. And that can be like filming or animation or whatever, right? And then there is beautifully crafted writing. And it like the the prose that is just like poetic and fits the mood and paints a beautiful picture, right? With with the words, right? And then there's kind of like the music and the narration and all the kind of things, right? So I've gotten shivers down my spine from listening to beautiful music or reading poetry or seeing amazing photography, right? And I think the, the great thing about like making videos or like film or whatever is you have these three things. And if you combine them just right, and this is perfect, and this is perfect, and this is perfect, like it's just like goosebumps. And I, I, I don't think I've made anything that has like perfectly hit all those three marks. I'm very much still a novice, but it's it's cool to try, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's just exciting. Sorry, that was a rant about filmmaking and how cool No, it's definitely not because that's your act. In order to communicate science, it's not just about the content. We're not just teaching people about facts. We're actually trying to convey an emotive response. And in order to do that, we need to look at all the senses. So the visuals and the auditory and the whole thing, the kick and boodle, is part of the process. David Attenborough is good because he gets those three parts right. It's not the star of the show. The science is the star of the show. But all of those things carry so that it becomes, it, it becomes not just an intellectual affair. It becomes a much more holistic affair of communicating yeah, like science. Want, absolutely. So... Now, you'd started geophysics uh, at, at university, but obviously your science endeavors started much earlier. So tell me a little bit, what got you into science? So I was really lucky um, that both of my parents are physicists. It's kind of ridiculously lucky to have one parent that's a physicist, let alone two. I think like the chances increase if one, one parent's a physicist. They kind of introduced me to that from a young age. I've always loved physics despite never like loving mathematics, right? Like there are certain people that adore math because it's, you know, pristine and pure and there's all these beautiful interconnections between things. And I kind of get that, but I like it never clicked for me, right? For me, what was interesting is like we live in a beautiful universe that is just really cool. <laughs> and there's so many unexplained things about us. And like that, that's what, you know, that's one of the things that science does is like try to explain the mysteries all around us. I think my parents did a really good job at maintaining and encouraging my curiosity, right? Um, I was never like, I never felt particularly like pressured to go into science. Like I, I occasionally make a joke that if I didn't become a physicist, they would disown me. And I don't, I don't think that's like quite true. They, they've been supportive of many other things that I've done as well. But yeah, it, it, it turns out that if you're interested in how the world works, which I think a lot of kids are, you might end up stumbling upon. Anyway. Now, getting into uh, back our topic of science communication, how, how do you see a role of science communication? I know you love it. And we know this mm -hmm. is drives you. But I guess the question is more centered as to why do you think science communication is important? This is genuinely a really hard question. I think one of the goals of science communication is to drive ourselves out of a job, 
right? Like, hopefully there is going to be a period in time where science communicators are not needed because people understand the importance of science and its role in society, right? And not just in like society as in like, blah, 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 it helps the economy and it, you know, lets us build medical devices and rocket ships. Like, sure, that's important, but that's kind of like the boring, for me, that's the boring part. The, the important part is that it's like art or it's like music or it's like, you know, whatever, right? Like you don't have music communicators, right? You don't have people whose job is to be like, you know what, this music thing, really cool. Actually, I might, I might totally be wrong. There might be music communicators. I guess like Adam Neely um, is a music communicator. He talks about music theory and he's an amazing jazz play- bass player. Like, so I guess, I guess there are like music communicators, but they're, you know, like no one, no one is doubting. Actually, again, this is not true. People are doubting the importance of music because they're not funding it properly, right? The the, the government doesn't really care about the arts. Um, so maybe there should be arts and music communicators. I'm totally backtracking here. Uh, my argument is falling apart in front of my eyes. But basically what, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think... Yeah, I don't, I don't think people realize how wonderful and cool sciences right and i think a a lot of people could fall in love with it if they did right and not not because they we want them to be professional scientists but because we want them to appreciate you know one the the beauty of the world at whatever level they want to and two to appreciate the, like, the the cultural importance of science, right? And the contribution of scientists. So I think I think that's kind of the pitch. I think the, the the difference between science and music is that most people do appreciate music, is just like the government doesn't particularly tend to fund it that much. Right. Well, with science, it's maybe actually the other way around. I think most people are like, oh, this science thing, didn't really like it in high school. But there, there, there are not enough, but there's still like decent funding, right? Because because everyone thinks it's useful for the military. So, but that's another rant. Um, so this another aspect of science communication that's come up with a number of my interviews. How do you see the role of a good science communicator in terms of how science works? This is uh, this feels like an in for my rant about the scientific method and how it doesn't actually exist, um, which is great. So thank you. Um, yeah, I think I think I think this is where actually a lot of science communicators fail, right? And uh, I don't think it's the science communicators' fault. I think like there's many moving cogs in a in a machine, um, and one of those cogs is producers who want to tell a simple story, right? And there's sometimes like this story of like science is, you know, observation and like and hypothesis and then testing and then bam, we're done. And it's a self-correcting method. And, and it's like, yeah, that's not quite right. Like the, like if you, if you read any, philosopher of science or historian of science, right? Uh, there's these wonderful classes that you can take or these wonderful books that you can read written by historians and philosophers of science. Um, one really good one that I'd like to recommend is Theory and Reality by Peter Godfrey Smith. 
right? It's uh, basically the first year history and philosophy of science textbook, but it doesn't read like a textbook. It's just a really good popular, popular book. Um, and like you realize that there is no unifying scientific method, right? That how psychologists do things is very different to how cosmologists do things. And how cosmologists do things is very different to how, you know, particle physicists do things, right? Um, you can't have a controlled experiment in cosmology that will make you, you need to make another universe, right? And people do that with computer modeling, right? But that's not, that's not the exact same thing. What I'm saying is there's no unified scientific method. Um, there are many scientific methods, uh, right? Like plural, which is like that that's my that's my that's one of my pet peeves um yeah i think this is this is something that science communicators haven't done a great job in my opinion of communicating but frankly neither have i right like i haven't made a video about you know the lack of a scientific method um sometimes stories are too nuanced and too convoluted to you know, be, I, I, I think they're interesting. I think this is interesting, uh, but I'm not sure if that many people do, right? When you're arguing about like the nuances of the scientific method, I sometimes also wonder whether it's important. Like the science, sadly, especially some types of science, like, you know, climate change, science related to climate change is very politically charged. So sometimes maybe it's not a crazy idea to to just be like, we are a united front, you know, science, it works, just go with us, right? Like trust the science, even though like, I don't really know what trust the science means. Because like in my head, trust the science means trust the consensus of scientists. Like, like there's a, again, a really great book uh, by Naomi Oreskes it's called, called Why Trust Science. Please read it. It's great. It's just great. Um, changing tech. You've been through the process and, you know, you've completed your PhD. Um, what advice would you give to a student who says, I'm thinking of a career in science? I would frustratingly answer that question with a question and ask what part and what are you interested in and what do you actually want to be doing, right? Um, because the careers in science are really varied and they're very diverse and, you know, a lot of them don't look like each other, um, which is one of the appeals of it. It is a very broad thing, right? I I feel unbelievably lucky to be able to basically learn about whatever I find interesting at the time, go into the literature for like, I don't know, two weeks, maybe a bit more, right? Ask the, you know, the leading experts on this stuff, like questions, and then you know, make a video about that. Um, and that's very, that's very different to what, you know, I was doing a year ago where I was like just looking into one part of physics education research and, you know, doing that kind of science there. Um, I guess for a high school student, it's like, yeah, just do, do, do science in high school. Even if you didn't, you can still get into like do a bridging course and get into university to do science. I have zero regrets about doing a physics degree. Right. I, I could have, you know, finished the, the, the degree and become a professional musician 
you know, assuming professional music would have me, I don't think they would have. Um, I mean, the second Brian May. Yeah, still, I, well, man, Brian May, right? Like, or do the opposite of Brian May, right? Get the PhD and then start Queen. Uh, that would be great. I would. That's never going to happen. Yeah, Brian May is amazing. Like, he's been a childhood hero, right? Both for the the, the guitar playing and the astrophysics. Like he built him and his dad built like the guitar, right? The red special, they built it together. And like the neck is out of like the fireplace. It's, it's amazing. It's really cool. He's, he wound his own pickups. It's uh, Brian May just, Oh, um, what was I saying? What, what I was saying is I have no regrets about doing a physics degree. Even if I never used it in the rest of my career, I would have no regrets about doing it. Now, my last question is going to be much more lighthearted. So mm -hmm. um, I'm giving you the opportunity to teach us something, uh, as I've done with all my interviewees, uh, something that you are, I guess, nerding out with. So, for example, you're in mixed company. This is the first topic that comes to your mind if you had an opportunity to share something. What would that be? I nerd about, like, basically anything... Anything I'm remotely interested in, I like kind of take it to a ridiculous extent, right? Like I'm the, 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 the type of person that has like, I've been playing guitar for close to like 15 years, I guess, right? Since I was 11. Yeah. Like every single guitar I've had, I would like change the electronics. I would change the pickups. I would like, because I know that like this pickup with this like the, the 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 basswood with the maple top would sound like a little bit too bright for the kind of sound that i was looking for. i'm not sure how much of it is legit right um but it, yeah i nerd out about everything i currently play this guitar called a strandberg and I'm named after the the uh, a guy called ola strandberg i can i guess i can bring it out but the basic idea is that it doesn't it's headless Right, so you don't actually have like your normal tuning heads here. They're actually at the bridge, and it's this weird and wacky shape. And the neck isn't um, isn't rounded, like on a guitar or on a violin or whatever. You'd always have like a rounded neck. It's a, like an offset trapezoid. So like imagine a pyramid, and then like slice the top of the pyramid. So your thumb is always against a flat surface. So like you get a lot less like muscle strain and. Things like that. I can I can totally. I think you should sure. get it. I think you should get um, it. Yes, good. All right, I am back. Look, it doesn't have a neck, right? So it's just like the strings. Yeah, you chop the strings off here, and then the back of the neck. It's like it's a, this feels like just a show and tell at school, <laughs> but it's it's a trapezoid, right? So you can see that it's not. Like this is a flat edge, this is a flat edge, this is a flat edge. Mm. So when you play, like your thumb is always against a flat surface. It needs a pickup, I assume. I assume if you play it, we won't hear it that very well. Uh, yeah, you won't, but I guess I can. Uh... A uh, little bit of Queen, since we were talking about Brian May. <laughs> um, what I find really like fascinating about that song is like I don't think that song could have been written on any other instrument that's not a guitar. 
right? Like there's a, a bunch of things that I think about with like uh, the tools that we use to like construct the things that we, whatever, right? So I, I find tools fascinating. Um, but the basic idea is that you're going from, right? So, so this is super natural on a guitar, right? And I guess it's like, uh, you know, like you, you wouldn't come up with these riffs on a piano, yeah. right? Because that's not natural for your hands, but on a guitar, it's like the most natural thing in the world, which I think is kind of, kind of wacky. Um, but yeah, I nerd out about a bunch of things. I have, I, I nerd out about this kind of stuff too. This is a Leica M2. Oh, nice. From 1961. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I spent, it's a box, right? Like film cameras are just a box with a shutter and like, that's it. Like you open and close the box, but, but it's an expensive box. <laughs> it's also a beautiful box. And I carry this box around with me every day. And I'm so thankful that, you know, I bought it. It's also like super worn and like, that's kind of neat. It's kind of cool to imagine like the places has been and the, the stories that it, you know, yeah, so I nerd out about basically everything. <laughs> it's been an excellent podcast, Peter. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. We've got a sense of your passion in, in science, communication, in physics, in Brian May and guitars, and even your interest in photography. We are bringing out a very nice Leica a, 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 as a little at the end. You're certainly a you've got a lot of um uh, obviously passions in your life uh so distracted yeah. <laughs> so any case thank you so much for the, your time it's like i said it's been a real pleasure and i do hope we have an opportunity to talk again uh, as of we go course. further down your science communication career of course that would be lovely thank you so much for having me on paul that's been it's been a pleasure it's always it's always a jolly good time talking to you so i hope you enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe to get notifications of upcoming interviews. And you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Physics High. My name is Paul from Physics High. Till next time.